Welcome to the Some Days Here podcast. I'm your host, Vivian Mabuni. So glad you're here. Some Days Here is a podcast for AAPI, Asian American Pacific Islander leaders. In each episode, we discuss how we navigate living in both Eastern and Western worlds and how the unique blend of our experiences influences our faith, our life, and our leadership. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Someday Is Here. Today's guest is is just the fabulous, most fabulous woman, Dr. Courtney Wong Davis. She has a PhD, and she's incredible in so many ways. She is an executive coach to organizational leaders. She is an associate professor of communication management at Azusa Pacific University. Yay, APU. Uh, she teaches about organizational, small group, and professional communication, and she is conti- currently pursuing her coaching certification from the International Coach Federation. Uh, she is also the author, one of the co-authors of the book, Leading Small Groups That Thrive, Five Shifts to Take Your Group to the Next Level. Uh, and that book is grounded in social science research, and it's made really practical to help people equip, you know, just to be able to equip small group leaders to, in, to facilitate individual spiritual growth. Uh, the other thing about Courtney is she is a wife to her husband, Matt, and mom to two amazing young boys, and they live here in Southern California, and they love reading and cooking and serving in their local church and riding bikes, which I just saw that Courtney rode her bike to work today at APU. Uh, she loves board games, and um, we've talked about this, and we'll probably talk about this in our conversation, but enjoying um, Saturday, Sabbath breakfasts, and all sorts of adventures. And I also consider her a friend and just a fellow sister in the Someday is Here sisterhood, which has now grown to include our brothers as well. But Courtney, thank you for being a guest on Someday is Here. Welcome. Thanks, Viv. So happy to be here. Oh, my goodness. Well, I am excited for listeners to hear more of your story because you are accomplished in so many different ways, and you uh, you operate on so many um, different spheres. But, you know, obviously in our little world of some days here, I'm just curious if you would just share with us some of your ethnic journey. Yeah, I am 100% Chinese American. My parents are both born here and my grandparents uh, on my mom's side are both born here as well. And so it's been quite a journey uh, growing up uh, looking very Chinese American because that's what I am. Mm -hmm. And yet also feeling a strong pull toward being American. And I am grateful to my parents for a really wonderful upbringing and a very heterogeneous community. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it was amazing to have lots of different looking kinds of people mm-hmm. around. And that made me feel pretty good. And I remember I wrote a paper in college, uh, reflecting a little bit on my life thus far. It was taught by Warren Bennis, a real uh, leadership guru and the president of the university, uh, Stephen Sample at the time. And we uh, were asked to write cruci- a crucible paper, kind of moments that really shaped our lives. And one of the things that came out of that paper project was recognizing that in high school, so many people said to me, wow, Courtney, you're so white. Hmm. And I found that to be such a compliment at the time. Hmm. 
I joined a sorority at the University of Southern California. And I remember there was uh, another young woman in the sorority, a sorority sister of mine, who was Korean American. And she said to me a number of years later, she said, gosh, Courtney, you're so white. Hmm. And it struck me so differently mm-hmm. at that season of my life and coming from her in particular, which was a really poignant moment as I started to really try to figure out, oh, well, what does that mean hmm. that I how do I make sense of that? Um, I would tell you that early in 2021, with all the things going on in the AAPI community, I think my eyes were again opened, like many of us. Mm. And recognizing maybe at my life stage as I approach 40, to say, goodness, I don't get to decide how other people see me. Mm. Uh, I had a, a difficult experience on a freeway and hard to disentangle what it was that made that particular driver uh, communicate with me in the way that he did. And mm-hmm. and it was one of the, uh, again, another moment where I thought, goodness, is it because I'm an Asian American woman? Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. I think I'm growing in a lot of those ways. I'm grateful to my husband who is not Asian American, mm-hmm. that he has given me a lot of space and support to encourage those conversations mm-hmm. and stepping more boldly. Viv, you and I have had these kinds of conversations. I've felt like an imposter for so many years mm-hmm. in the Asian American community. Uh, I had had a stint in politics between undergrad and grad and politics, certainly identity politics played a huge role. And yeah. my Asian American identity was again projected onto me, something I was encouraged to represent. And yet my question has always been, am I able, am mm. I qualified? Mm-hmm. And oftentimes the answer becomes no. Mm. And and I'm learning in this season to step more fully into the story that God has continued to write in my life that includes my ethnic journey mm-hmm. and the ways in which I can open doors for others um, with the access that God has given me and the opportunities that are being Uh, that I'm being asked to steward. Yeah, that is. Has there been anything that's been pivotal for you in that journey that's helped move you forward into exploring more and kind of being more rooted in the ethnic piece of your identity? I think a lot of what happened in early 2021, where there were friends of mine who said, Courtney, how do you make sense of this? And Mm. I thought, goodness, I'm not qualified to speak at all, but also I don't know, uh, we have a relationship. And so why can't I say uh, some things? And so I, I think I did a lot of reading. I had mm. a lot of resources. We shared some of those and that was a great joy. And then at APU in April of 2021 here at the university, they invited a few uh, Asian American women to speak mm-hmm. uh, to the campus. And again, not feeling qualified, but also being very welcomed to the community, being very welcomed by these three other Asian American women, faculty Mm -hmm. and staff members, who we all allowed to enter the space exactly where we were from our disciplinary expertise, but also our personal journeys. And that has been a remarkably hospitable space that has catalyzed my willingness to engage and my willingness to learn more and to participate more fully and to embrace more fully mm-hmm. uh, my ethnic identity. Yeah, that is so beautiful. And I think it, your story, you know, is unique. And there's also all the crossovers where we relate to one another. But, you know, to be, you know, third generation, um, the immigrant story is not your initials touch point. And uh, that is true of, 
the Dutch Americans and the German Americans. However, you're still seen as um, a foreigner or other. You're othered just based on how we look. And so the value yeah. system, it's not like you're speaking Chinese at home, um, but there are parts that you do embrace and celebrate, but that's a little bit more distant. It's not like it was, you know, from that last generation. So, Yes. And I would say, too, I think raising kids has also opened my eyes as well to my responsibility mm. in helping Luke and Theo understand who they are. And so my husband is we, we say that he's half Armenian and mm-hmm. half Texan. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so that's where the last name Davis comes from is the mm-hmm. Texan side. But I remember a conversation with Luke. He was probably four at the time. And, and we had just celebrated with, uh, Matt's Armenian side of the family. Mm. And, uh, and we said, gosh, you know, you know that you're half Armenian. Where do you get that? And he said, dad. Mm-hmm. And I said, and what do you get from mom? And he thought for a moment. And he saw it. was a real pregnant pause. Mm-hmm. And, and then he looked at me. He goes, hugs? <laughs> and I thought, oh, I love that. Yes. Also, do you know that you're Chinese American? Do you know that you're mm. Asian American? Uh, and and even reconciling what it looks like to be an Asian American boy. Yeah. And then examining our literature and thinking about all, all of those pieces and thinking about representation and helping my kids start to see the way in which the Lord has designed our family mm. and our lineage and our heritage to appreciate and to reflect that back to them. Uh, recognizing that, yeah, they're growing up as Luke and Theo Davis. And, yeah, yeah. and so even the name doesn't uh, necessarily command or demand that, that they make sense of that. Mm. And so how do I help them recognize uh, the integration of the two and mm. mom's family and dad's family and how God is has always been and always will be sovereign and good and for them? Mm. And what does that mean for how they will continue to engage uh, their ethnic journey as well? That's so, you know, the, the future is mixed, you know, it's, it's multi-ethnic. And uh, I wrestle with some of the same things, you know, as Chinese American, married to a husband who is native Hawaiian, Portuguese, and also Okinawan, and understanding that Okinawan is a little distinct from Japanese, but I had used Japanese for so long until I understood some of the history of Okinawa. And that's just this continual journey of learning and growing and digging into history and beginning to understand why um, certain names matter and certain um, identifiers matter to, um, to really being again rooted. And so I love that that's part of it. For I, I, I remember apologizing to my kids too. It's like, growing up, I didn't have a large Asian American community, a large Chinese American community. We did have like the Chinese families in Boulder, get together and they'd have like the poker mahjong parties and we'd have the food and you know we'd all you know we would all be compared to one another that was a common experience but there were a lot of festivals and holidays that I we didn't really participate fully in and it wasn't until I moved to Hong Kong my senior year of high school that I saw the significance of Chinese New Year like growing up mm. and we would maybe have like some special food and a party but it wasn't Chinese New Year and then to see it full blown with the skyscrapers lit up and it was so huge and you know then to learn later that 
you know, families travel hours on the train to get back home for Chinese New Year. Like this was the biggest deal akin to maybe, you know, Christmas for college students. Like everyone goes home for Christmas, that same idea, but I didn't have a context. And so I also struggled with this imposter syndrome. Like I don't understand the red envelopes exactly, except I know I'm supposed to give you money in a red envelope. And I guess they're supposed to be crispy bills. Um, But, you know, trying to figure some of that out. Hey everyone, do you have big goals for 2023? I'm actually pretty excited about this new year, and that's in part because of the Prep Dish meal plans. Subscribers receive an email every week with an organized grocery list and instructions for prepping meals ahead of time. If you don't think you have time to meal prep, I used to think the same thing, but with the Prep Dish super fast meal plans, I can prep five healthy dinners in just one hour. Every Friday, I receive meal prep meal plans straight into my inbox. I have the choice of either gluten-free, paleo, low-carb, and super-fast meal plans. So if you want to serve healthy, homemade meals without the stress, the founder, Allison, is offering listeners of Some Days Here a free two-week trial to try it out. You can't beat that. Check out prepdish.com slash Vivian for this amazing deal. Compassion International is working to release children from poverty in Jesus' name through its one-on-one child sponsorships. When you sponsor a child through Compassion, your $38 a month will provide food, clean water, education, medical and dental checkups, and above all else, the ability to learn about Jesus and flourish through the local church. Letters from your child will help you keep updated on their life and development. Your sponsorship ensures this child will have hope, hope that poverty will end with him or her. But your Compassion sponsorship doesn't just provide for the needs of the child, Compassion cares for the whole family. Your sponsorship will change one child, one family, and one community. There are more than 100,000 children awaiting sponsorship, children who are desperate for hope. To partner with Compassion in bringing hope to a child today, simply text Ivy Media, that's I-V-E-Y Media, to 83393, or go to compassion.com Ivy Media. The link will also be in the show notes. That's compassion.com slash Ivy Media. So what are some of the things that you've tried to implement with your own kids that kind of helps them to learn Chinese, some of our, our Chinese um, heritage? Yeah, spending a lot of time with family mm-hmm. and helping tell the stories. I think uh, we have a wall in our house that includes all of my husband and my grandparents. And so there are uh, very, yeah, very Chinese and very Armenian folks on our wall. Yes. So that prompts some good conversation and and continuing to engage the daily life. And in a lot of ways, it's not dissimilar from how we're trying to disciple our kids in the gospel, right? Mm-hmm. Is that oftentimes in small ways, it certainly is in tradition. And the Chinese New Year is a big deal in our family and, and uh, as is Easter, right? But also mm-hmm. in the daily discipleship and helping our kids, they started a new school this fall. And so helping them engage with new kiddos and new kinds of families and in our community. And so it feels uh, maybe, yes, it, it feels like daily discipleship. Mm-hmm. And so to engage those conversations on a daily level, in addition to some of the traditions that include the red paper envelopes and 
uh, and a real treat and getting dim sum and going um, to experience the food part of our culture is mm. a real joy, uh, especially with my husband's Armenian side as well, which has a rich cultural heritage around food. So yes. maybe it revolves a lot around food. Maybe it that's really does. Getting okay. down to <laughs> it's really just about the food. And I'm not going to argue like I don't mind that it gets back down to food because wow, what a great display of textures and flavors and colors and I, to me it's it's there's worship in that because it really does reflect that we are so beautifully and intentionally diverse and uh, yeah. the colors and the textures and the sounds and the smells all of it so I uh, have a few Armenian friends and so anytime I meet someone with the last name IAN it's like I know that they're Armenian and it means so much when I recognize that because there's a connection like you see me and you understand that this is an important part of my heritage so um, I love that you're celebrating that part of your um, family as well. And then, of course, like Texas is practically its own country. So, <laughs> so, <laughs> so Davis being from Texas, that makes sense to me, yep. too. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I love that. Well, one of the things I've loved as I've gotten to know you, Courtney, is that you are a gifted, gifted coach. And you think big organizationally, but you are also able to help people to think really practically. I've been the beneficiary of your um, your skill and your mind, and it's just been such a gift to, to see you do your thing. And also, I've also seen that one of your passions is the theology of work. And I would love for you to maybe unpack some of that, like why that's been important to you, what are the most important messages that come through with regard to the theology of work, and yeah, please just share with us all the wisdom. Courtney, go, go, go. <laughs> yeah, I would start by telling you that I met Jesus in a sorority. So it's in an or organizational context that I've always, I've started to see a lot of the pivotal points in my life. And that then led to a PhD, which is never what I thought I was going to do and be a university professor. But what I originally set out to study was about organizational membership, about the people and organizations and how they're integrated into participate in and exit from organizations. Mm. And as I started to think about, you know, I was doing these PhD studies, I was in the literature and publishing and writing and, and, but I also was deeply committed to our local church and mm -hmm. committed to follow Jesus. And so how do we think about how Sunday then actually affects our Monday. And mm. I started to think more deeply about that in large part because I had good friends here at Aziz Pacific that when they learned about my research interest, they said, hey, have you ever thought about this? Mm. Um, really understanding uh, where work is in scripture mm -hmm. and what that means for how we live our lives. And one of the maybe most poignant things that students, when I get to teach this, students, their, their eyes, like open way wider when I say, gosh, you know, the church really talks a lot about marriage and we should, mm -hmm. we should talk a lot about self-selection, about how you date, about how you choose and mm -hmm. what marriage is for. And, and we do a really good job. I know that it's flawed and we've got a lot of ways in which the church can grow in that as well. But we have spent historically in the, in the modern context, a lot of time talking about marriage. Yeah. Yeah. And the really crazy part is, that if you think about your day-to-day your -day life, Viv, the moment you wake up, 
uh, to and what you do throughout the course of your day and when you get home and are then with Darren again. And, Mm -hmm. you know, it, it is really remarkable to consider that we spend at least half of our life with people we did not choose to hitch our lives to <laughs> in, a, in our workplace context. Yeah, yeah you're and right. And most of us, we say, we're going to sign a contract to, to take this job and it looks like a great opportunity. It's indefinite until we call it quit. Mm. But it's as much of a commitment in some way mm. as the commitments that we make in marriage. And yes, the Lord treats marriage separately than work, but I want you to think about how we spend our daily lives. Yeah, it yeah. is mind-boggling the ways in which we spend our time. Yeah. So, you know, it's it's even at best, most of us, unfortunately, in the Western world, we spend more of our time working than mm. we do in our homes with the people we chose to hitch our lives to. And right. so that really says, gosh, God must care about the work that we do. Mm. If he cares about everything mm-hmm. and the gospel can change everything, yeah. then we, we must then believe that the gospel can change the way that we see our work. Mm. And that, that work was really designed by God. Genesis 1 and 2 includes a whole lot of work yeah. that does not come post-fall. Yes. It is pre-fall, mm-hmm. which we don't live and experience in our gen- post-Genesis 3 lives. Mm-hmm. That work is actually good. It Mm. was part of God's plan. It is part of paradise. And what we'll find, some will find maybe a bit discouraging is that that then means that work is ahead of us in the heavenly realm. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And it it is without all the the destruction, the evil, the hardship, the Mm -hmm, toil, the mm -hmm. struggle that Genesis 3 and the fall brings about. But work was inherently good. Mm. And to start there means that we actually love the opportunity to participate with God and what he's doing. Mm. And mm. so, yes, work is a really broken experience. We all experience it organizationally. We do things in our work that we don't like. Yeah. We work with people that are really difficult. They work with us, which <laughs> makes their work really difficult. True, true. You know, and we depend so much on people that we didn't choose. Mm. And so to start to see, wait a minute, when when our Western culture has made work to be an idol, mm. uh, where position and title yeah. becomes a part of our idolatry, uh, we rarely um, say, you know, we so often hear people say, oh, what's your name and what do you do? Yes. That it is so closely tied to our identity when really God called us into something really incredible uh, in terms of our our opportunities in our workplaces. Mm. And it's not just paid work. It's unpaid work. And it's not just out of the home. It's in the home. And mm-hmm. we're not just talking about remote work. We're talking about stay-at-home moms and dads mm-hmm. have mm-hmm. as much um glory producing work to do Hmm. as though to produce income outside of the home and and so to say okay well what is that what does that mean uh it really is an opportunity to participate in god's redemptive work Mm. in order for redemption to happen it 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 communicates that brokenness exists and so we can start to see work really differently in a way that maybe frees a lot of us Mm -hmm. from the constraints that the world has put onto us Hmm. and so there's small things where we say goodness there's an opportunity why do we expect for work to fully fulfill us Hmm. why is it that we expect for our spiritual gifts to be used 
perfectly. Mm. And that's just not the expectation. I have very good friends who are going onto the mission field and um, in the Arab Gulf. And, and I don't think they're going to the Arab Gulf with an expectation that everyone is going to fully appreciate all mm. that they are bringing. Right. That they expect hardship. They expect toil. They expect struggle. Mm-hmm. They expect to not be welcome. And that does not shake them. They remain unshaken even as they prepare to go. And I, I don't know that we are preparing each of us in any life stage to prepare to be sent into our workplaces mm. as mission fields, not just to be the nice people in the office. Yeah. There are plenty of nice people, believers and non-believers alike. Yeah. Uh, but to say we can actually do redemptive work in that space. Mm. And what could that look like? We could bring a bit of heaven down into this place. That's right. And so I have good friends who are, have been in this space a lot longer than I have written and and publish and speak on a lot of this and say, what would happen if our workplaces were actually the next site of revival mm. for the church? Because we meet believers everywhere. We, we, we segregate in the, where we live. Our neighborhoods are very mm. segregated along cultural and political lines. Mm. Our schools are segregated. Our churches are segregated. Our, our workplaces, mm-hmm. I think, we are, is one of our best opportunities uh, for gospel opportunities yeah. to go yeah. forth mm-hmm. with folks who may or may not believe that the Lord is in charge. Mm. And what a gift mm-hmm. to step into that space when our expectations are set appropriately yeah. to say this is good opportunities, opportunities for redemptive work yes. that I will sacrifice my own satisfaction in my work because this is meaningful. Mm. This is meaningful. Mm. And and what does that meaning look like? It means that we get to come alongside folks interpersonally as they experience hardship because the frequency of communication, we see people every day. That's right. We get to see their every day. Yeah, that's right. When we get to, when we experience something hard in our organizations, leadership makes decisions we don't enjoy, mm-hmm. that we don't benefit from, that we actually disagree with. Mm-hmm. Can we, in humble submission, say we are going to submit to authorities because we've been given work to do and so have they? Mm-hmm. Nothing happens here in my workplace that the Lord did not know beforehand. That's right. That's and right. I and we will stand confident that the Lord is in charge, yeah. regardless of what that looks like on our day-to-day, in our day-to-day lives. Yeah. And and to walk with that patient endurance, that mm. quiet confidence that I am certain that God is in charge. Yeah. Well, thanks be to God that gives me an opportunity mm-hmm. to exhale because I don't have to be. That's right. I don't have to have things figured out. Mm-hmm. I don't have to worry and fret and and the growing statistics on anxiety. I don't need to worry mm-hmm. because God has given us a peace that transcends all understanding when we are called to think on what is true and real and excellent mm-hmm. and praiseworthy mm-hmm. that I don't need to fret and worry because God is in charge, and I am not. And for that to be a great comfort and not a vindicating, I'm not in charge, but God is, and I don't know what he's doing. But to say, 
I am not in charge and God is and I don't know what he's doing. Right, right. And that is a great comfort that I think should and can give believers, yeah, again, this patient endurance Mm -hmm. and a quiet, confidence. Yes, I love that, Courtney. And you ministered to me when we were talking on the phone, just as friends catching up. And, uh, you know, we had both gotten COVID at different points, but I had gotten COVID (laughs) and missed my son's wedding, which, and my daughter-in-law. And it was so devastating. And yet, in hearing and being reminded, like, yes, there's sadness and loss and grief for the loss of that milestone, but you had spoke words of truth to me to kind of shift perspective that this did not surprise God and His purposes were going to be accomplished. And it just kind of helped me to refix my gaze and to not um, just push aside my emotions. I think God is not in any way threatened by my anger or my sadness or my fear or any of that. But at the end of the day, or and at the same time, to be able to be praying. I've been trying to pray the Lord's Prayer um, in the morning and in the the evenings just as, as a spiritual discipline to kind of root myself as I start the day and end the day. But it's, you know, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And when I hear you talking about the this theology of work, that we recognize that, you know, we do uh, represent and we move through life, uh, people are watching. And the way we love one another, the, la- the way we treat one another, it matters. And so in that way, w- no matter where we are, no matter what we do, um, the things we put our hands to, it's all an act of worship. And so I love that we don't separate out Sunday to Monday. And I love that we don't uh, think of certain things as spiritual and some, certain things as secular when God is the God of all. And we can, as followers of Jesus, can walk in confidence that there are no accidents and nothing is haphazard. And our God, who is loving and good, moves with us through through the every day. And the very most common things are actually um, holy ground. And so I yeah. love that, Courtney. I love the encouragement. Um, I hope, listeners, that your your own spirits are lifted as you think about the things that you do as unto the Lord. And I remember as a young mom, um, at the time I was at home with the kids, and I spent all my days wiping counters and wiping bottoms. <laughs> I just, you know, it just felt like, is this really, does this really matter? And recognizing at different points God coming, you know, and assuring my heart that He sees and he knows, and that what I was doing did matter, and nothing nothing is wasted in God's economy. So even those years of quiet, um, I think God is, is molding and transforming us to be more like him. And uh, what a gift to be able to be reminded of that. So thank you, Courtney. I just, I love what you bring, and it's really, a, it's refreshing because I think so often we do split and think of things as spiritual and secular when it's really not. Did you know that the Sri Lankan Art and Cultural Museum in New York was created by an 18-year-old? Summer visits to her parents' homeland led Julia Westerjean, now 23, to a deep appreciation of Sri Lanka, a small island nation in South Asia. 
As a middle schooler, Julia started collecting items from relatives and convinced her father to make space for a museum in his restaurant. In 2017, the museum formally opened in Staten Island and now occupies its own space nearby the family restaurant. Staten Island is home to over 5,000 people of Sri Lankan descent. Today, the museum receives visitors from all over the world. And when they want to enjoy a meal, they can experience Julia's favorite dish, Lampras. Lampras is Batsmati rice, steamed vegetables, and spices wrapped in a banana leaf. In Julia's words, quote, your culture is your foundation, and we should all have a strong foundation to lean on, end quote. And that's this week's Did You Know? Maybe one other thing I might offer is helping believers start to consider yeah, pursuing great diligence in their work, but mm. also being willing to rest and yeah. to choose rest as a gift from the Lord, mm. that we can be really diligent, uh, hardworking, rested people. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is remarkably countercultural. Yes. And so when you are willing to work extra hard and work at your craft and work at your skill and be diligent for the sake of human flourishing and for the good of other people, mm-hmm. that is sacrificial. Sure. And to put it down and to to walk away from it, recognizing mm-hmm. that you are not, the Lord is not dependent on your work. Yes. And that we can put it down because ultimately He is at work in us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And when we take on too much, we decide that we're supposed to make the world go round. Mm. And it turns out that that's not theologically true. <laughs> that's right. <And> so, <laughs> that's so right. There's something, you know, really beautiful in seeing the mundane as holy, mm. seeing our work as opportunities to, yeah, participate with God in his redemption and to rest in yes. who he is mm-hmm. on a regular basis that we fully acknowledge that our work is not up to us. And it's unfinished. And to set it down. Yeah. Yes. And yes. That. And, mm-hmm. and there's a great joy in being able to step away, mm-hmm. uh, knowing that it will, in, if we're resting well, is to uh, to pursue rest that is restorative. Yes. That rest is not, you know, our weekends here in the West are not as a reward for the work that we did this, the week mm-hmm. before, but it's really meant to be restorative. Yeah. Uh, for the week to come. The Orthodox Jews, the Orthodox Jewish tradition Mm -hmm. gets that. Mm -hmm. And and we've lost some of that, but their Shabbat Mm -hmm. starts at sundown. Their day starts is at sundown, Mm -hmm. which means that on their calendar, their day starts at sundown and they rest for a whole half of the day before they get up and rise to meet the day. And and what a shift that would have for Mm -hmm. many of us to consider our days as beginning in the evening, mm. that rest precedes the work. I love that. And that, that God did that, mm-hmm. even in Genesis 1 and 2, that God did that, where Adam was created on day 6, uh, which then meant that, his, and he was commissioned, the mm-hmm. Lord gave him the, the cultural mandate to uh, multiply and be fruitful. And then the first full day that Adam saw was, Day seven, a full day of rest. Mm-hmm. So God worked six days and then rested. Mm-hmm. But the story of of us is that we are created on day six, commanded to do things, yeah. and then we're told to rest. Yeah, yeah. And 
I how much that. different our world and our daily lives would operate if we understood those rhythms a bit differently. Okay, so let's talk about some of those rhythms because we have talked offline with just as friends, we've talked about the Sabbath and keeping the Sabbath. And to me that I look back and it has been a lifeline to um, implement some I don't know if I, just principles and um, perspectives as I have tried to bring a little bit of um, order in the midst of chaos, you know, and I think especially the last few years with things being so uncertain with the pandemic and all of that, I, I have uh, seen the value. And when I miss those times when I actually am intentional to set aside, I see the difference. So for me, um, from sundown Saturday to sundown Sunday, I usually, um, you know, take off my watch. That was something I learned from you. I take off my watch. I also so I leave my phone at home. I don't um, I don't look at emails or social media. I just kind of turn it off. Actually, at, uh, erased. Uh, Facebook and Twitter off my phone a long time ago, but I also erased Instagram because that's the one I spend too much time on. Take that off the phone, uh, put my phone away. My kids actually know to, to text my dad if they have to get a hold of me, but I don't take my, my phone to church because I was noticing that my habit was just to pick up my phone while I'm standing in line or pick up my phone when I'm at church if I just needed. I was just, I was spending way too much time in the automatic reflex of checking email, checking social media, uh, was just, it was robbing me of being present. And I i have found that that rhythm has been really helpful. At times, I would light a candle to like represent the beginning of Sabbath. Um, and yeah, I would love to hear maybe some of the things that you do in your family as well. Yeah, and it has shifted a lot as the pandemic and conversations about what our kids are doing. Uh, we had a great rhythm when we really invested in the Sabbath. I think it was the end of 2019, ironically, uh, and really said, you know, we, our Sabbath was going to be Friday at sundown until Saturday at sundown, knowing that Sunday was in a lot of ways in our home, a big work day. And mm -hmm. so we serve at church and do that, but also we meal prep and we do laundry and that felt like work. And mm -hmm. so we said Friday night to Saturday was going to be our Sabbath. And my husband and I had some long conversations uh, in those in that season to say, what would be restful for us to do together as mm -hmm. a family? Mm -hmm. And in 2019, you know, my kids were six and three and nothing really feels restful with them at all. Uh, <laughs> but one of the things in Southern California that we can do is, is hike and mm. to go on hikes at a very slow pace, knowing that Theo, my three-year-old was not moving quickly. Yeah. He also has a tendency to pick things up along the way yeah. <laughs> and, and to appreciate that, mm. that even in the act of being together as a family that this was restful because basically restful in that season was we just don't want to parent. I don't want to mm -hmm. discipline. I want to be with my kids without having to discipline. Mm -hmm. And so what does that look like? So a couple of those things were hiking because literally one way up, one way down, <laughs> no parenting, and we can go as slow as we want as yeah. long as we set our expectations right and we bring snacks and it was wonderful oh. we would do dinner out uh, on friday night and mm -hmm. i think we've shifted a little bit trying to get our arms around the command about not uh forcing others to work in mm -hmm. order for our rest to occur right so i think we're still trying to 
to to get our arms around that. And I think that's where the difference between Sabbath and self-care really comes mm. into play is really this is not I'm asking everyone else to serve me on my Sabbath, mm. but that we are we have readily prepared, similar to that Jewish tra- tradition of the day of preparation, right. have we readily prepared in order to rest mm-hmm. uh, and then to participate with community and to participate in worship for um, small things, but for uh, devotional to happen in our home. And it wasn't perfect. In fact, I remember teaching on the Sabbath uh, at a women's gathering, maybe, I think it was exactly, I remember the part and what I was saying, but I said, yeah, and our family has had three out of four good Sabbath. I mean, <laughs> three out of four was pretty good, you know, and, and to know that the, the ebb and the flow of what it is that you need. And so as mm-hmm. you identify your social media use and what does that look like? You and I had talked about not wearing a watch. I just mm-hmm. love Saturdays and not having to worry about what time it is. Yeah. Actually yeah. allowing for lunch to happen when I'm hungry, Ooh. which is hey. kind of funny <laughs> and not as scheduled and structured, but also to plan for. So it's not a haphazard. Mm-hmm. You need to plan for rest. And so what does it look like for our kids who are now nine and almost seven yeah. uh, with soccer? Now yeah. we got soccer on Saturday mornings and uh, we used to do this big Saturday morning breakfast and we would be slow. We got our kids to leave us alone in bed for another hour mm. so we could make it till eight. <laughs> uh, but big Saturday breakfast. And so, uh, you know, we had just talked about it last week. Our kids had soccer games at 830 and nine, which is my husband and I are in two different places, totally. on two different fields. Yep. But we said, I think we can be home by 10. Mm-hmm. So if we can be home by 10, then let's make uh, bacon and uh, let's make ham and cheese waffles yes. and let's make scrambled eggs and let's make pancakes and mm-hmm. let's do that because that's what we so readily enjoy. There's no mm-hmm. hurry in making Sabbath breakfast and our kids get to participate with us in that and to be together and to get to recognize the slowness yeah. that is also a part of our discipleship to Christ. Mm. And so how do we appreciate the flow? How it, it, That flow is not lazy. That yeah. flow can be purposeful. Yeah. And to appreciate the rhythm shift mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. just a day, yeah. uh, the opportunity to serve mm-hmm. and uh, uh, serve friends and families and others to see those opportunities and to make that articulate for our children, I think mm. is also important too, that they know that we're doing these things on purpose mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and uh, making choices to protect these areas. We don't have a TV in our home. Mm. That's an intentional choice. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and so when you think about media and screen use, I, I confess I need to be better about my social media in this season as well. And so trying to, uh, work yourself around your own weaknesses yeah. and so to identify them yeah. and to choose to work around that mm. is really a large part of our discipleship to the Lord. And yeah. so Sabbath is certainly one of those. Mm. Um, so yeah, it's really a joy. And as you say, when, when we've gotten into those habits of Sabbath and flow and choosing family and choosing homemade cooking that is not rushed mm-hmm. it's hard to go without it yeah yeah it's, you you really do experience not just notice but in, embodied experience the loss yeah uh when sabbath when your sabbath practice does not produce 
yeah. not that it's just productive, but right. it is meant to really invigorate the work that you have ahead of you. Yeah. And avoiding if, that Sunday night, like dread, like Ugh, mm, Monday. But if we've done Sabbath well, the hope is that you've been away from your work long enough to say, ah, yes, and I get to go back. Yeah. And there is good to be done. And this is a regular rhythm. God knew that we would need this. Mm-hmm. He knew that we would need habits of grace mm-hmm. given in such a gift as Sabbath is. I love that. Hey everyone, taking a quick break to kind of focus in on the topic of marriage. My husband and I have been married for 31 years and we have the privilege of speaking at marriage conferences across the country. And marriage is challenging and there are a lot of challenging topics to navigate. And 31 years ago, I would have really appreciated um, the kind of content that I'm about to share with you. Countdown to Marriage is an online course that's created by Legacy Family Ministries, and it's set to help couples have a meaningful and fulfilling marriage. It's uh, designed to help engage couples to connect and to lay a solid foundation before saying I do. In this six-session course, Legacy Family Ministries walks couples through practical topics such as communication styles and conflict management and sexual intimacy, shared finances, and how to navigate relationships with in-laws. Those are the topics that really are often at the root of a lot of conflict in marriage. This course is led by Byron and Carla Weathersby who have spent nearly 30 years preparing thousands of couples for marriage, including Chip and Joanna Gaines. The Countdown to Marriage course provides engaging training videos, actionable resources from each lesson, and important discussion questions to get couples talking about what matters most. So if you're engaged to be married or know someone who is, visit LegacyCountdown.com slash online and enter the code IBMedia to save 25% off the cost of the course. Again, that's LegacyCountdown.com slash online and use IV, that's I-V-E-Y, media at checkout to receive this discount. Marriage is an important relationship, and the investment into these topics before you say I do will yield such benefit. So check out this great opportunity. Hey everyone, if you're looking for a new Bible study, I want to tell you about one from my friends at Women of Welcome. I love them. They are such a great organization. Um, Their team has created a beautiful, simple, and free Bible study that can be done individually or with a group. Women of Welcome is a community dedicated to diving into the whole of Scripture to understand God's heart for the immigrant and refugee. The welcome of Christ was astonishing to the culture around him. He gave voice to the speechless, frustrated the powerful, and humbled the wise. As Christians, our welcome should be like his, wonderfully surprising, deeply challenging, and firmly rooted in love. And that's true as I study the scriptures and I learn about how people are made in the image of God, Imago Dei, and having that view of people changes how I interact with the people around me, especially those who come from a different background. 
So when you start following women of welcome and learning from them, you venture into a journey of understanding biblical hospitality in a fresh and authentic way. A great starting point is their Christ-like welcome study, and you can download it for free today. Spend five weeks in the Word exploring the beautiful welcome of Jesus toward His most beloved creation, human beings. To download your free copy of the Christ-like welcome study, visit womenofwelcome.com slash Vivian. That's womenofwelcome.com slash Vivian for your free Bible study. Enjoy. I think, too, with just looking at how God made us with needing sleep, to me it just seems like it seems so odd that we would sleep, but so many good things happen in our sleep. There's, you know, our neuropathways and healing and restoration, and it seems so, um, I don't know, frivolous maybe at times. But, you know, I mean, I think in our culture, our Western culture in particular, we um, – we we not only idolize but i think we we feel more important when we're when our schedules are so full and you know it almost uh adds to our self-importance is probably the way i would describe it and again it's like wow there's some really beautiful things that happen when nothing is happening except for just breathing <laughs> you know so yes. i just think there yes, is something and frivolous yeah Frivolous is a great word for what it feels like Sabbath is. Mm-hmm. When we take naps on a on a yeah, Saturday, naps, oh. and and don't set an alarm. Yeah, that just seems so frivolous. Mm-hmm. That's a great word for it. And yet, <laughs> isn't it remarkable that that is a reflection of God's gift to us? Mm. That that God's love is frivolous. Yeah, His yeah. gifts are yeah. seem frivolous. Yeah. And so that is remarkable to receive that, mm. to live in that, mm-hmm. to receive is, I think, another part of our discipleship, too, is being willing to receive mm. from our community, receive from the Lord that this yeah. is a gift. Yeah. Uh, and I think I'll just offer this. My husband owns no business, and he has some good friends who go to our local church who started doing a quarterly rest week. Ooh, and this yeah. is where this gets really remarkable is that how a theology of work can start to influence how organizational leaders and managers and owners get to set up their workplaces. Mm. Well, my husband got on board with our friend who does the, who did this first, but a quarterly week mm-hmm. where the whole office is closed. Wow. You and I both know when we take vacation, we actually give we have to work extra hard before we go. That's right. That's that right. Mm-hmm. Uh, our colleagues are taxed with our work in our absence. That's right. And we come back to a very full inbox, mm-hmm. and it is exhausting to return. That's right. And so they started doing this every quarter. My husband, we, uh, his company did it um, for the first time last Christmas, but then again in July, we're working on September. Uh, but when the whole office is closed, they tell all of their clients, we are out. Yeah. And so, and we will not answer any email. Yeah. Um, if you have an emergency, yes. well, here's how to reach us. Sure. But it must be like a legitimate emergency. Right, right. And they all came back rested. Mm. They said, any email, um, if you need something and you emailed us during the week, you can get our autoresponder. Please email us when we return. That's we will right. not answer any email. That's beautiful. Uh, from That's anything be- when we are gone. Yeah. And so you just go, oh, 
what a joy it is mm-hmm. for every worker in the organization yes. to appreciate mm-hmm. a week of rest to come back and say, I get to do this again. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And just I get reset. to reset. Yes. Oh, that's so beautiful. And do this work. Mm-hmm. And so really, really exciting, mm-hmm. joyful things to appreciate the Sabbath on an individual level, mm-hmm. on a family level, mm-hmm. but even as an organizational level is how is it that we can better pave the way and open doors, give access, if you will, right, to right. others to appreciate what rest is for. Hmm. Gosh, can you imagine what that would look like if you worked at a company and you were not a believer and the company just said, yeah, every quarter you get a week off, yeah. we'll pay for it. Yeah. And, uh, and we just do that so that you feel rested and are able to come back to work. Mm. Like, that's amazing. Yeah. That's that is. We don't need to ask for permission for vacation, and we don't need to ask for mm. permission for rest, but to do that yeah. together, yeah. and that actually being a community endeavor, not just an individual endeavor. Mm. I think there's great fruit there. Absolutely, and it's so counter, and that's where there's something supernatural. That takes place, I think, that as we work in tandem with God and His Spirit and even innovate and think this way, it does yield. There's just something so beautiful. Life begets life. Like that has been yeah. the mantra that I have been saying over and over um, during these these COVID years. My husband has been slowly restoring our backyard. And what was, you know, we stopped watering during the last drought completely. And the only thing that survived was our orange tree in our backyard. And he slowly started to bring it back together. And out of little seeds, we have vegetables that we're eating now. And it's just unbelievable. But because there's life now, the birds are back and the, you know, there's just life begets life. And part of my Sabbath is I water our house plants and I marvel that they're not dead, Courtney. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it's just, I'm just so thrilled to learn a new skill of keeping plants alive. But it turns out that they they just do really well when they are watered, maybe once a week when the soil is dry. And I was either overwatering or forgetting them completely, but even they have a rhythm as well. So it's just been very, very refreshing to kind of reset. (laughs) Yes, and I know that you know this, because I've heard you articulate it to me, is that is a work of redemption in Mm -hmm, your backyard. mm -hmm, And so to see the restoration, to see life come about, and then to see the life that has come about because of the life in your garden and in your backyard, that's the gospel, Fred. It is. That is is. redemptive work. Yeah, right. And that is a great joy to participate in. And to rest in that and to say, gosh, God did this, mm. and we get to enjoy it. I love it. Oh, dear so me, good. that is a so frivolous good. gift. Yes. Well, I would love for listeners to be able to get in touch with you. I wish I could talk with you for all the day, but I know you need to get going as well. Um, how can people connect with you, Courtney? Yeah, well, I just want to meet people face-to-face, but uh, easiest ways, uh, Instagram, Courtney W. Davis. I'm on LinkedIn as well, and that's in my professional space, but both of those are great places to connect, and then meeting face-to-face is always a great joy. Oh, absolutely, and we will have all those linked in the show notes. You are also one of the co-authors of this fabulous book, Leading Small Groups That Thrive, and um, I was honored to be able to participate in 
and add a little uh, personal section in uh, one of the chapters. But this is a great resource for those of you who do lead small groups, um, researched, and um, it came out during the pandemic, you know, but it is a great resource. And we will also link this up. Is there anything you want to say about the book at all? Yeah, it's really meant for people like my husband, who is a willing servant who does not know small group research and the work that we did to say, gosh, we've all been in the church long enough where groups are pretty hit or miss. Yeah. And what can we do for groups to actually contribute to individual spiritual growth, which mm-hmm. is the good work of what community is for? Oh, that's a great summary. Well, I have just loved just you linking arms with some days here in such a beautiful way, bringing all of who you are. And I remember um, when we were having our live event, you came over to Jamie's house and just willingly dove in with your kids and stuffed our swag boxes. And just, I just love your heart, Courtney. So thank you so much for being on season four some days here. I'm just so grateful for you. Thanks for having me, Viv. Always so fun to see you. Some Days Here is a production of Ivy Media Podcast. It's produced and edited by Angie Elkins, and assistant editor is Ashley Miner. Show notes and graphics are by Nikki Ogden, and the original music is by Joseph Patrick with Passion Net Productions. I'm your host, Vivian Mabuni. To learn more about the Some Days Here community, check us out on the socials at Some Days Here Podcast or at Viv Mabuni on Instagram. <laughs>